Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back. A little delay from the True Blue LA podcast. Eric Steven, you and I both waited until there was news, and boy, did we wait. Yeah, uh, and to be fair, there was a chance. There was like a a small window where we we could have recorded something on the Russell Martin trade, but they were like, eh, like we just yeah. just didn't work out. So <laughs> like, so we waited and waited, and hey, look, we have uh, Dodgers signed a free agent outfielder, just like we all expected. Yeah, I think, and I think the one we all, well, I actually think it probably was the one I was expecting. We we mentioned it. Uh, I think you know, going over scenarios like in, in previous podcasts, like you know, while Bryce Harper has always been sort of the the white whale or whatever out there, and like uh, you know, they're Dodgers rumored interested in all this stuff, but it always seemed like Paul AJ Pollock like made sense, but then it, it almost had to be like a combination like. Pollock and then maybe some other move like you know that that could be like a you know a noteworthy offseason but they're still like pieces they haven't done that other big move yet and like uh so we're (laughs) pitchers and catchers are reporting pretty soon (laughs) yeah like in in like two weeks basically like (laughs) it's pretty crazy like today what is today's the 29th right Mm -hmm. like uh yeah like that wait uh, 28th today yeah so like uh Man, in 
what, 16 days Dodgers pitchers and catchers reports. So, <laughs> I mean, they, they basically have the, t- the team set. Like, there's still well, rumors. You know what, though? We'll, we'll get into it. Yeah, of pitchers yeah. and catchers, of the, of the moves left to make, it's likely to be one of those two, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like we the Not other pipe have to report by that day, but pipe dream is like, uh, um, you know, we we mentioned Harper and then also like, well, what about trading for like Corey Kluber or like America's sweetheart Trevor Bauer uh, or, or something like from the Indians? But it doesn't seem like the Indians are all that keen to trade mm. one of those guys right now. And so uh, that's maybe out the window, but th- there's still like this. JT Real Muto is still out there. I know the Dodgers like traded for uh, Russell Martin, but it's like. Uh, well, they also uh, traded for a gentleman named Jeter, and I wonder if the the ego of the other <laughs> Jeter is just that that was setting up the deal. Oh man, like one for it, one swap. <laughs> yeah, one for one. Yeah, Jeter Downs uh, infielder in the uh, um, uh, that was in the Red Salary Dump trade. Uh, so yeah, like w- that would be amazing. Like, or at least throw him in. Like. Uh, Look, Jeter, here's your Jeter. Uh, and then, you know, you can also, you, look, we all know, like, if if they do this deal, like, uh, you figure one of the catchers is going and, like, maybe even Austin Barnes, too. So, like, uh, and then, and Jeter Downs. Like, yeah. oh, that, that'll seal the deal. So, I mean, who knows, man? Like, I, I, they might be done. They might not be. But, yeah, so that that's sort of where we're at. But, yeah, so the big signing uh, – uh, AJ let's, Pollock. Let's, yeah, let's start big to small. We'll we'll get into the trade rumors a little bit more, I think. Yeah. So if you, uh, I don't know. It, it's I don't know. I haven't actually looked to see if the numbers bear this out, but it seemed like um, AJ Pollock was one of those guys who, you know, I know Paul Goldschmidt got the lion's share of like, dear God, his numbers against the Dodgers are crazy. You know, outside of against Pedro Baez, which was weird, but like. AJ Pollock always seemed like one of those guys who hit like 750 against the Dodgers somehow. Uh, I'll look so at while you talk. This is one of those like addition by subtraction kind of a thing, <laughs> just in that in that regard. But like I don't know, like so he um, the Pollock story is weird because uh, so la- last year, like I would say until like the first week of May, AJ Pollock was like the best hitter in baseball. I think um, he had like a crazy start. Um, won the player of the month in, in April. He was hitting like a billion. Um, um, so, okay, I'll tell you this, May 14th, uh, 293, 349, 620 with 11 home runs. He, I think he hit nine of those in April. Uh, and then he, he broke his left thumb, which is sort of the A.J. Pollock story. Um, and then he missed uh, seven weeks, and then, he, and then he barely did anything the rest of the way. Like he had a 297 on base the rest of the season, and he just was like ordinary. Um, but so like with him, it seems like, um, you know, injury history, like is his sort of uh, calling card and the Dodgers were kind of downplaying it. Like Andrew Friedman was saying, well, he, he really hasn't, he's had like one like soft tissue injury. They've all been like breaks, but so, you know, injury prone is injury prone. I think in some cases, so 2014 fractured his right hand. He missed three months. Um, 2016 fractured right elbow. He missed almost five months. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember. I think I think I can't. I think two. I can't remember. 2014 or 2016 was the one where he was like sliding into home plate, like either like on a spring training game or like real. It was like really. It was like oh man, how do you get injured on that? You know, like it was very bad. But anyway, um, strain right groin, groin in 2017. He missed two and a half months, and then last year the thumb seven weeks. So 
you, you basically look at it six full years in the majors. Um, he's averaged like 101 games, I think, um, in those six years. So that's not good. He had one like full year, really good year, 2015. Since then, he's just been kind of like slightly above average, which is good, um, but not great. And then um, brings like above average defense in center field, which is something the Dodgers needed, I think. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's one of those, like, if he's healthy and productive, great, but like, there's no real reason to expect him to be healthy. So, and, um, I don't know, but that, that's sort of, that's what they got. So yeah. So the deal, um, uh, what is it? Uh, five years, uh, it was, it's technically like a four year contract, um, for uh, 55 million, but there's a player option for a fifth year with like a buyout attached. So in this, for the luxury tax, it's like five years, 60 million. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. So I, <laughs> there are some like, cont- uh, for me, he can also opt out at the end of three years. Um, if he has like enough plate appearances, which he, if, if history is any guy, he won't get there. Like he needs like a thousand plate appearances in those last in in twenty twenty one, or fourteen fifty for the first three years, and like he hasn't done that the last three years. So, you know, who knows? But like my favorite part, there's like these escalator clauses for his um, his player option. But anyway, so back to if he does get that reach those thresholds, like it's essential he gets the buyout of his option anyway. So like it's essentially like a three year forty five million dollar deal in that in that case. So. Mm-hmm that's kind of where he's at. But like my favorite part of the whole contract is this, there's like escalator clauses for that player option, which is right now it's a 10 million player option with a $5 million buyout. So the, the 5 million is, um, you know, he's, he's good. That's, he gets that no matter what. Um, but if, if he, if he wins an MVP award in any of these four years, it's a, uh, he has like this point system, but he is, he gets that base salary for that option year gets added five million. So, if he wins four MVPs <laughs> and, and then also reaches six hundred plate appearances in two thousand twenty two, his two thousand twenty three player option is thirty five million dollars. <laughs> so, At that point, <laughs> what I, steal? I, uh, yeah, exactly. Like who who'd walk away from thirty five million? Who knows? But although that that said. He'd be in a pretty strong negotiating point yeah. <laughs> to, to go be a free agent after four straight MVPs. So who knows? This, this deal just strikes me as a very typical Friedman move, a a agile move. I think is what I'm going to call it. Just very, you know, sort of locks in a guy flexible. There's an opt out. Um, it's uh, center field, which he doesn't necessarily have positional flexibility, but center field is the hardest. One of the outfit positions, the hardest to kind of flex into for your other very sort of movable pieces, it it uh, pr- it hits the that their belief clearly, at least in my mind, that depth is a market inequity, and that it allows you to take on these sort of Rich Hill Pollock esque. Well, they're only going to give us a hundred you know one hundred twenty games, but maybe those will be really good games, and we've got the depth to sort of absorb that. It strikes me everything there, but at a certain point when you lose two World Series in a row and you're raising ticket prices, there's this sort of, per, whether it's fair or not, perceived or not, whatever it is, sort of smug satisfaction to kind of just sit on your laurels, keep running things out, and keep hoping for the best. And fair or not, a large portion of the fan base is not happy about that 
Um, do you want to talk about the Stan Carson interview? Yeah. And so uh, you're right, though, about the depth thing. Like, it is like weird, and you completely understand why fans would be upset because essentially, like, this trade, like, um, you know, they talked about bringing balance. He's a right handed outfield, hitting outfielder. But the Dodgers traded two right-handed hitting outfielders like earlier so, in the offseason. So it's like they made the yeah, hole but, they, but they needed to fill. I want to rein in, because I saw you tweeting about it. I want to rein that in just a little bit. Because remember, sure. one of those guys is a guy you thought they were going to salary dump a year ago. Oh, yeah, no yeah, question. So, like, and but, so, yeah, I basically view them as they traded uh, someone they – I basically viewed it. They swapped one year of Puig, who they didn't want in the center field, for someone they do want in center field at three or four years. No, um, it's completely like valid in that in that regard. And like, like yeah, you're right. Like, and it's not so much Kemp because we saw he faded in the second half. Like, same issues as before. Like, what does he really bring? He's not, you know, they they were trying to dump that salary no matter what. So, but that said, um, so you're essentially you traded away like a fan favorite in Puig, yes, and that's where the fan that hire comes. But then at the same time, you're right. Like it's one year of Puig or like five years of Pollock or, you know, maybe it's four or three even, but like, and someone who can actually play center field. And, but it, you know, it, it, it might be a, even like a wash from a baseball standpoint, but like it, you, you're right. It sets them up. It sets them up a little bit better. It sets them up a little bit better. But as you said, the, the optics, geez, it's weird. Term, yeah. Is, is not, not very good. And you can get away with that if you're going to sign a Bryce Harper. And I, get, I, I have such a weird relationship with the Dodgers fans' desire to be to sign uh, Harper because I've never been that. I don't. He's that guy that I'm suspicious of giving an eight-year contract just based on how he's played, that sort of his defensive metrics, that his offensive numbers actually haven't been in my mind, at least eight year plus deal worthy. But at the same time, I really want this team to do something exciting and to kind of reinvigorate that. Hey, this is a front office and an ownership specifically an ownership that will do what it takes to put us over the edge uh, over two to three teams in the AL that are, I think in my mind, just better than Dodgers and potentially significantly. So. Yeah. And like, uh, before I get into that, I just want to go back. You said, you call this move like an agile move, and I, I kind of agree with that. And for some reason, in my head, I just wanted to say the word sinewy, and uh, so maybe, <laughs> maybe this deal is, is a sinewy. But no, yeah, you're right. Like, he, here's the deal: like, uh, Sandcast and uh, what we're going to talk about a little bit is so. Again, I wasn't there Saturday, but um, yeah, there was a press conference for um, Pollock at FanFest, and Friedman was there, and Caston talked, I guess, or at least maybe Caston just talked to Dylan. Hernandez separately of the LA Times, but you, you kind of can see how that conversation was going to go, especially based on the <laughs> column Dylan wrote. Is it basically like Dylan going, "What about this? What about this?" And like, rem- sort of, I, side note, real quick, do you remember when Dylan was hired and he was just this, you know, spoke multiple language, straight nose beat reporter, and then the ghost of TJ Simmers has just <laughs> enveloped him. I, I can't say I did. Like, I, I know he he Dylan. I like know him personally, and like. Um, he is like very good, like just in general, like at like cutting through the bullshit, mm-hmm. and like so, like I I get where he's coming from a lot of the time, and he's not like um, he's not like disruptive, like assholey, like T.J. Simers was, That's like in a, in a scrum. <laughs> but that said, he is like, but 
<clears throat> there's a difference between um, like he's good at asking uncomfortable questions, but not inappropriate questions. So like uh, he, I, I have no problem with like what he, what he, his sort of. It comes through style. way more if you see him in person too. I've seen yes. video interviews with him, and it's the sort of there's a levity to it that it yes. doesn't quite yeah. come through when it's all he's written not, down. He's not bitter, <laughs> bitter old man like you know, angry at the world yes. person yeah. type thing. But anyway, uh, yeah, sorry about that. so. <laughs> that's okay so uh but yeah getting so one of the things like so the new ownership group when they came in they're going to do what it takes to win blah 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 they put a ton of money in infrastructure you know spending on uh, international talent spending on the miners making sure that gets propped up as they're sort of rebuilding the major league club and that for like we talked there's five years where they paid 150 million in luxury tax i think they averaged like 200 and some uh Man, I don't remember what the average was. I think it was like two hundred fifty million a year in payroll, plus thirty million a year in luxury tax payments. So, like, look, they 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 walk the walk in that regard. And their their plan always was they said they wanted to build like a sustainable thing where the system is producing like um, you know talent, and either you cap- capitalize that talent through uh, calling them up to the majors, or you trade for major league pieces, things like that. And I think. That's where they're sort of at right now. But the weird part about this is like the timing of it. I don't know if it's unfortunate for the Dodgers or just bad, just bad from an optic standpoint is that they finally get to the world series, right? After all these, like they've won six straight division titles now, but like when they finally get to the world series and then they pick that off season, which mind you at at the same time, um, ticket prices have rose dramatically in that, in that time. So like they're, they're like, trying to supply the supply and demand says like that's you know they're you know look they they still sell a lot of tickets and i get it so there's a market there for those seats but like you can get where the fans would get frustrated but like yeah so they pick the time right when they get to their first world series and come up one game short um and then to have like their least like active offseason that's it it was a really good team they obviously it worked like it got back to the world series but they lost again but you understand where, like, why isn't the pushing all your chips to the middle of the table point now, right? Like, now you decide to, like, we're going to get under the luxury tax. Like, now now is the time for restraint. Like, why now? Like, that – so I get why it's frustrating, um, you know, uh, so to fans. And it's – but it's like you, you could see where the sort of plan was. But it, it takes a lot of, like, um, discipline, I guess, you know, because you have to withstand that because – you can't, it's like, um, you know, this is this like, a, you know, like a personal budget type of a thing. You, you have to like um, stick with it or else you, you, there's going to be good months or bad months sometimes, it, it, you know, maybe income wise or whatever. But like, you're going to be like, well, this is a good month. I, I should square some of this away. But then, oh, man, I really like those shoes. You know, it's not the same thing, but it's like. And, you, and you, like, yeah. and here's the thing is like Bryce Harper certainly has the sort of long-standing pedigree as a great player, a star player. And, but at the same time, he is a left-hitting outfielder, something that the Dodgers just really don't need. And you could you could make the argument, and I think this is what Stan was trying to do, and he didn't do it in a very good way, and we'll talk about that, is, hey, we can only, we can only kind of breach that line, go 20, 30 million over the line once in the next decade, and a... We we want to kind of keep that in our back pocket for something where we actually are badly in need of. 
something that you know whether what however it is three four years down the line uh, could be an infield position where maybe some of the you know Justin Turner finally gets to the point where he's not productive anymore and you need a third baseman Nolan Arenado becomes good going to be maybe become a free agent in a year and they just don't think Bryce Harper's the guy to give that contract to I can get the logic behind that and it makes the brain ticks all the sort of the check boxes in my you know I'm playing baseball manager by myself but it's not exciting it's not going to put you over the top over these AL teams and sure maybe year down the line the Dodgers sort of offense is on the good half of side good half of things where they had been very very streaky and maybe they're on a good streak and they win regardless of if maybe the talent level isn't quite there but it's still I understand the Dodgers' rationale, but I I think I more understand the fans' emotional frustration over what's going on. Right, and and look, and the bottom line is this too: like fans shouldn't care or shouldn't root for billionaires making more money. Like, Agreed. Like, and on one same level, even like I don't even think fans should necessarily want their teams to be profitable. Like in in the cash yeah. flow sense like, and th- i am definitely giving the ownership a lot of leeway oh, yeah. and may- that maybe i shouldn't of to make this team even i think i think teams should be profitable i think i i i'm gonna slightly disagree there but it should yeah. only be hopefully barely and so i'm giving them a lot of credence that says hey if we go over this line twice in a decade that actually makes us not profitable and makes us actually lose interest mm-hmm. in maintaining ownership because i want Generally, I've enjoyed this ownership group, and I would want—I don't want to go back to the Fox, to the McCourts. I like. I want them. I want them to be happy with the Dodgers as well. And if that means certain restrictions, fine. Because again, we are talking. Oh, we're only going to go up to this threshold that whatever it is, five other teams go to. Yeah, I like. Like I said, we're just talking about this. There's, uh, you know, I don't think either of us are like, you know. Oh my God! What a you know we're not. I don't think we're carrying water for the owners. We're not at the same time like like there's there's so many levels to this. Like you on one level, the Dodgers payroll, no matter how you slice it, is going to be like right around two hundred million this year, maybe a little bit little over, a little bit over, a little bit under. But like on some level, you're like how do how how are you? You can't really be angry at that. Like you know, like from a from on some level. But like I get it. The thing is, the Dodgers left themselves, and this is their own fault. Um, uh, they leave themselves no benefit of the doubt. They have a TV deal that you know it's eight point three five billion over twenty five years. So you just like look doing the math that averages. I know there's it starts smaller and gets larger, but over the twenty five years, that averages three hundred and thirty four million dollars a year. And that's before like any of the national TV contracts come in, which is like, I think uh, averages over just over 50 million a year. Last year um, when MLB AM advanced media uh, sold parts of their business to Disney MLB, every, every MLB team got a one-time payment of like just over 50 million. And then this last year, the average salaries went down. So like owners are pocketing shit. You know, yeah. right now, you, and so you understand where the disappointment's coming from. Absolutely, but like, but like also, and the Dodgers are on a TV network that like a lot of pl- people can't see because it, it's it's very frustrating. So they don't have a ton of the benefit of the doubt, which is why I think 
some of the cast and casting quotes in this story um, with Dylan Hernandez are frustrating because it just seems so condescending. Like, and I, like you said, part of this is probably like, I wasn't there, so I can't speak to this, but just from what it sounds like in print, uh, just doesn't make casting look very good. But like, so I'll say this, um, I'm just going to read uh, a section of Dylan's piece here. Um, starting with this quote from Kasten. It said, that's, that's also such a weird narrative. Kasten said, if we can do whatever we do to stay under the luxury tax threshold, there are a lot of advantages to being under. By the way, a lot more advantages than you all write about. And then Dylan added in such as, and then quoting Kasten again here, I'm not going to get into that because that's real inside baseball economic stuff. <laughs> and so like right there, you're like, all right, guy. Like for, it was so, um, and then Dylan pressed him. He said, told fans would be interested in the details. Kaz said, hold on, let me finish the answer. Some of the things are elsewhere in the collective bargaining, bargaining agreement that no one's bothered to look at. Again, condescending. Some of the things are inside baseball. There are more advantages, just a little tax. So, look, I, I have the collective bargaining agreement. A number of, like, baseball writers on Sunday I saw, they're like, look, I've read the thing. There's not much in there. But So I think the two things are this is, like, um, when it comes to revenue sharing, like when teams pay into the luxury tax, like it gets spread among the non, uh, you know, the, you know, the non-paying teams or whatever. Um, but like it, if you stay under, you get a certain amount of credit, but like it's so minuscule, like given the amount of, there are only two teams that paid in last year. So this is like a tiny thing. I think the major thing is that, um, the Dodgers, like after five years of ownership, um, they didn't have like the leeway anymore on MLB's like debt service rule. So, like um, in terms of their expenses uh, relative to, you know, uh, revenue, I think that's that's probably where most of this stuff is. But that's more of an internal baseball thing. But that it comes down to this: like while while it's an ownership group, they have like they they do have like minority investors and stuff. That that's where they they sort of have to make profits every year. And I, we've seen some of the leaked documents. Um, <coughs> excuse me, L.A. Times. Um, Bill Shaken had a story in a couple months ago where he you know they the Dodgers had like shown things to investors saying this will be our payroll for the next five years, and all of it was under the luxury tax. Again, these are you're trying to make yourself look good, look good. So maybe don't maybe necessarily hold them that, but like you can see where they're sort of coming from in this regard. And again, all well and good, but I think the way like Kasten sort of defended it, just he could have, there could have been so so many things like to, to just make himself look better in that regard. And, but in fairness to Stan Kasten, he didn't even say like, um, he didn't even like put his foot in his mouth the worst of any like ownership uh, group or, or like front office people over the weekend. I'll get to those later, but um, <laughs> yeah. I, so I don't know, man. Like um, <clears throat> I think they are still flexible and like uh, there's rumors that they're still involved in like real Muto. I, I don't know. I guess we'll see, but that's sort of where, the Dodgers are at. Um, let's good. Let's talk about the Russell Martin trade, and then that I think lets us talk about Real Muto a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So Dodgers, and we almost recorded over this, and we decided, eh. <laughs> right. Dodgers, and uh, part of it was a timing thing. We only had like, yeah, couldn't. couldn't Do you remember? Uh, it was Russell's either rookie year or the year after, where the clamors to make him team captain. Do you remember this? Yeah, I think it had to be. Man, it, it was no later than 2007, so that would have been his second year. Yeah, that sounds right. 
Yeah. Back on the team, maybe. Can we make him team captain? You think that would go over well? Man, who knows? Like, like I, it's one of those things. Like, if if like <clears throat> if Clayton Kershaw or Justin Turner aren't like team captains by now, like they're just not going to do that anymore. I don't yeah. think teams do. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is kind of weird. Like some some teams, like I guess not a lot of teams do this, but um, yeah, it used to be like a huge thing, like a big honorary title, and sometimes you get a little. You get a C on your jersey or whatever. It's kind of <laughs> kind of weird, but anyway, um, yeah. So Martin's back. He's he, um, he's going to be. I think he was, maybe he's thirty five now. I forget. <clears throat> Apologize for the coughing. Um, but yeah, so they traded. Um, this this was like um, one of those like where the Blue Jays aren't really contending, so they're just getting out from under what they can. And um, uh, the Dodgers traded two minor leaguers: Andrew Sopko, Ronnie Brito. Uh, for Martin and then like Ronnie Brito is one of the guys we talked about the in, in huge infrastructure for the Dodgers um, when they uh, in the big 2015 2016 international pool they they spent like over uh, just over 46 million in in international bonuses that year um, and then by the, subsequently paid like almost 46 million in penalties so uh that was like a huge sort of infrastructure thing. And Ronnie Brito was one of those guys. He got a $2 million bonus for signing. He's a middle infielder. I think he's showing up uh, some of the top 100 on the back end of some of those top 100 prospects this year. Um, so, yeah, minor league infielder. And then right-handed pitcher Andrew Sopko. Um, uh, they go to the Blue Jays for Martin. And then what? Martin's making $20 million this year. But um, the Blue Jays sent – 16.4 million to the Dodgers. So the Dodgers are really only paying 3.6 million, but from a luxury tax perspective, which is again, always a concern with the Dodgers now, because they're up against it. Uh, that wipes out like his, his average, he signed a five year um, $82 million deal with Toronto. So his average annual value is 16.4 million. So the cash, the blue Jays set, means that for the Dodgers purposes, his luxury tax number is zero, which makes him in many ways a perfect player (laughs) 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 because he's relatively productive and he doesn't count against the salary, uh, the, you know, whatever. So, yeah. So my question to you with the, you know, there's the real Mucho rumors, which were peaked right, right after the Pollock signing and then sort of the, Padres came in to steal a little bit of the thunder that maybe maybe they're going to make a move for him, which makes zero sense, by the way. Right. Padres, Padres are weird. <laughs> Anyways, Russell Martin, Austin Barnes. Is that a Calvary at catcher you see world, national, two-time in a row National League champions going with? Yeah. Here, here's the deal with, with catchers where <laughs> yeah, you right. look at it on the surface. Yeah. <clears throat> so Russell Martin... Um, he is. He's going to turn 36 the day after Valentine's Day. So this is his age 36 season. Um, he hit 194 last year. So, without saying anything else, like that, like that's where the Dodgers are at. Like he's uh-huh. at least going to be the the sharing time catcher. Um, but that said, he's always been able to get on base. He had a 3.38 on base, which is fine. He hit 10 home runs, but he had a 325 slugging. Again, a lot of that's driven by the 194 batting average, but pretty bad. 86 OPS plus. Uh, that said, given the state of catchers, 
he actually still ranks pretty good. Like, like <laughs> not terrible. And like, if you factor in other stuff, like he's actually, you know, above average framer, uh, pretty good framer. And, you know, he doesn't throw out runners like he used to, but like still pretty good defensively. So like, he'll get the job done, but it's like, it's one of those, like they went from having a huge advantage at catcher in that Yasmani Grandal for all his faults was one of the more, most productive catchers in baseball. And now it's like, you know, Russell Martin does a lot of things well, not terribly great, and then hoping for a bounce back from Austin Barnes. And like, who's the, um, who's the majority like lion's share of playing time person there? You know, that's that's another thing. They're both right-handed, um, so it's not really uh, matchup based. But like, who I don't really know right at this point. So you can see where the the if the real Muto rumors are are rampant still. I and get it, gives it the, because it gives this front office a chance to make an, an actually exciting move. Yes. They say, hey, you know what? So we don't you... think Bryce is the guy that, like, we're happy to give those contracts out. We're more happy to give them out to our own players. Uh, we don't think he's the one for it. It's not a position of, it's not a thing we desperately need. But here, we're going to set, we're going to pay the King's ransom that the Marlins are wanting, or maybe somewhere in between. But we're willing to sacrifice for a two-year player because we want to contend, and we don't want to have that black hole in our lineup. Yeah, exactly. So, like, uh, you can see where Real Muto with Martin backing up is, like, ultra strong. Like, that's a really good catching unit, whereas Martin and Barnes splitting time is like, uh, all right. Like, that, <laughs> so that you can see where that's sort of a thing. But then, so you – so going into like the real Muto part of this, like you can see where um, I think like uh, Austin Barnes might be a part of that deal or at least have to be moved at, the, at that point. Like maybe not in that deal, but in some deal. Uh, same thing with now that they got Pollock, like when the Dodgers talked about part of that uh, Puig and Kemp deal was like sort of relieving sort of the pressure um, or at least uh, in the outfield, like it, they said, look, we had like six outfielders, it wasn't fair to anybody. Now they just have, you know, five outfielders. So it's like still uh, it's pretty crowded. So like you can see where uh, Verdugo or Peterson, there's a lot of rumors with like John Peterson being bandied about. I could see it if they're like high on Verdugo, but at the same time, like if it's if a chance to get Real Muto, maybe Verdugo's in that deal. Or since you're getting two years out of Real Muto uh, and look – and as much as we want to say, like, the Dodgers are waiting for, like, Caber Ruiz and Will Smith, it's more Ruiz, I think, than Smith. But, like, um, is he good enough to, like, all of a sudden just hand the reins to in, like, 2020? So that I don't really know. So you could see a scenario where if they get Rio Muta, who's under contract for two years or at least are eligible, um, maybe Ruiz or Smith – uh, would be included in that deal. So you could see sort of the framework of that deal sort of happening. It's a lot to ask, uh, obviously, but at the same time, pretty good upgrade. Uh, so that I think that's where they're at. I have no idea if that deal is going to get done, but uh, that's that's sort of where they're at. I'm hoping for it. That's uh, Pollock I could take or leave, but Real Muto has been been the guy that I've been hoping the Dodgers yeah, get like, for a while. Uh, Although like, that, honestly, I got yeah, soured he, a little he, bit yeah. when Grandall took the dare he did. Like, as much as not right. a fan favorite as he had become, become to offer him to offer him the qualifying offer and then go, oh geez, like less than a million more. Never mind. 
just seemed, right. seemed strange to me. But you know, well, maybe there. Yeah, they were, I do wonder how much optics played into that. <laughs> yeah, I think too. Like you wonder. Like I don't. Maybe he was ready to leave too. Mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. like they made it clear that. And like so, because I know he said he got some multi-year offers and stuff. And it, there, there was one report that the Mets offered forty or sixty million. I'm not sure if that number is exactly right, but Grandal <clears throat> basically Galaxy brained it into saying, "Look, I, I wanted to take like, uh, you know, something fair for the players." And it's like, uh, all right, if it was really four sixty, he probably should have taken that deal. But like, um, there was other rumors that like, uh, you know, like three thirty nine, I think, from the Angels or something similar. So I get why he, he went the one year and like a higher number, but still weird. But yeah, and you wonder, like, I don't, who knows if he actually went back to the Dodgers and said, Hey, I have a one year deal. Can you match it or right. something? Um, so uh, who knows? But like, uh, yeah, so it is weird because as it stands, what getting a catcher for one year or maybe two is like sort of what the Dodgers need for 2019. And then like to see Grandal just leave on a one year deal, it's like, Oh, that's, that's a missed opportunity. You're right. Uh, very odd. So you, coughing machine, did not go to FanFest this past weekend, right? Yes, I missed it. Uh, saw a little bit on TV, Saw read some reports. Craig Manami was there uh, for True Blue LA. Uh, but yeah, so I have a couple notes uh, just of things that I saw that were sort of noteworthy. Okay. So I think the big one is Kenley Jansen said he's lost like 25 pounds. Uh, he said he's been working out like twice a day um and like you know getting in better shape um so that's that's good um seems like a good like he had the heart procedure and sort of um that's always a good sign like for his long-term health uh and to see that like he looked pretty good so that that's that's a positive um cory seager he's coming off of the tommy john surgery um and then also he had a hip surgery later in the year um he like seems like he said all the right things like in terms of he hasn't had any setbacks so that's good but he like stopped short of saying he'd be ready for opening day and just given what we've seen like um i always like play the you know you, you sort of be cautious with these kind of things so if i had to guess i'd say he's not going to be ready for opening day but they're going to you know take it slowly and look we've seen the last few years in spring training there's always something and Seager ends up playing minor league games for like two weeks instead of them bringing him to the major league side. So I think they're going to slow play him again um, and just bring him along at his own pace. But in terms of he's sort of checking all the boxes for now, but he, I think he's still got a long way to go. Um, yeah. So then the other thing was um, uh, new uniform numbers. Like uh, my favorite. So I, yeah, I wrote a couple of, so for one thing, AJ Pollock gets number 11. Uh, and I was going to make an Arizbel Arguena joke. Um, you know, it's really Manny Moda's number, but then, like, you know, it was funny that Arabuena got it a couple years ago. I had actually forgot that Logan Forsyth wore number 11. <laughs> and I feel bad because, he, you know, he, he he's, like, really recent, and, like, uh, I did not remember that. But anyway, um, yeah, so AJ Pollock's 11. Um, Joe Kelly is 17. Um, the Brandon Morrow number uh, – so is he going to be Brandon Morrow every year? Uh, but anyway, um, uh, Jaime Schultz, who another sort of fringe end of the 40-man guy that they um, got from Tampa Bay, he is number 50. 
another uh, pitcher, sort of fringe 40 guy they, they got from the Braves, Adam McCreary, is 62. Um, for some reason, I can't find the list that are with these. Oh, yeah. So then a couple of the 40-man guys, Kaber Ruiz is 70. Uh, Matt Beattie is 72. Uh, I think Edwin Rios is 71, if I'm not mistaken. But and I uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember any of the new numbers. I, I don't think I, I think that's about it. But yeah, so that that's sort of where they're at. I'm assuming Russell Martin. He was not a fan I'm assuming he's 55. Right. So yeah, <laughs> no real competition there. <clears throat> yep. Well, I, that's that's all the notes we have. Where we remain this sort of. My head sort of understands what the front office is doing. My heart's not very happy. I really hope they make this trade with the Marlins. Uh, just uh, again, it's it's not so much. Uh, we we saw this for with in the Dodgers kind of before they made their their World Series runs. Is a big issue is they had they just had black a black hole part of the lineup where they had one or two guys that just could not hit, and how much that hurt them. And the last two seasons, the Dodgers have had the opposite, right? Top to bottom, just drawn bats. And I think that's a big thing they're going to need. And I really, really hope they get it because outside of a miracle season from Martin or Barnes, catcher's going to be that hole. Um, and there's a there's a solution out there ready to be taken, and I hope they do it. Right. And then the other thing, too, just I think, I think we've talked about this before. So the Dodgers' second baseman as a whole last year which was a lot of Forsyth, which was a lot of Chase Utley, and then other guys mixed in as as needed because they you know they have guys who play all over, but just as a whole, and then I forgot Brian Dozier also was was terrible when after they traded for him. Um, so Dodgers two hundred nine, three hundred seven, three thirty two as a whole last year, second baseman, thirtieth uh, in batting average, 29th in slugging, nineteenth in OBP. Uh, they did uh, walk seventy nine times, which was third, but like. The WRCS or WRC plus was 78, so average being 100. They were very bad at second base. Now, you think, like, given the the sort of constitution of the team or construction of the team, that the natural sort of order of things is like um, that Chris Taylor and Kiki Hernandez would see the lion's share at second base at this point and mm-hmm. sort of leave the outfielders to the outfielders. Um, uh, I mean, they could also play outfield, but like, and then there's the thing where. Um, if Max Muncy's playing or, or David Freeze are playing first and Cody Bellinger's in the outfield, um, then that's okay. But then, like, there's some cases where uh, Dave Roberts keeps mentioning Max Muncy as potentially playing some second base. I can't see it for, like, a ton of games. But maybe, maybe some of those times when um, they just want to load up on lefties against a righty pitcher and then, you know, you can sort of stomach uh, Muncie at second base for a, game, a few games here and there. So I think that's what they'll do. But, yeah, th- that's another thing where if they're thinking about, like, maybe move, uh, but, like, I don't know what moves out there at this point, but, like, that's another thing where you could see the an, uh, an upgrade. But you're right about the black hole. Like, that, that was a thing that hurt them last year was production from second base. But if you have – so if you have some production there, that's good. And then you have to address catcher uh, still. So, yeah, it's going to be an issue, uh, definitely, for sure. Yeah, between uh, – especially <clears throat> CT, but um, maybe Kiki has a little bit of a bounce back year uh, as well, although he, he did better last year than I was expect- – than now that I'm looking. Um, remembering, I think, the playoffs clouding my vision a yes. little bit. Yes, and um, he struck out a ton. Yeah. yeah, and I'm 
eh, whatever. I don't care about throw hats. <laughs> I um, no, yeah. I'm not that worried about second base. I guess uh, that's one of the things. One of the pluses that I saw from the salary dump move with the Reds is getting those guys back in the second, not relying on sort of the 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 failed attempts at. I remember one point where we're like, oh, we're going to get either Forsyth or Dozier, but it's going to be great no matter what. Second base is solved. And uh, that that didn't happen with either. <laughs> exactly. So hopefully hopefully, you and I are recording next week with exciting news and going to break down the Dodgers' new catcher. That's my hope. That would be good. Uh, before we go, uh, I have another Dodgers rewind to do. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, did you? Did you get the picture I sent of you of these two people? So we're no, going to do a two for actually. one today. Go for um, it. I, 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 yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so the Dodgers um, in uh, heading into the 1980 season. So 39 years ago, uh, you know, this was like the infancy of free agency. Like um, free agency was basically a new thing. Like, uh, it didn't really take effect till like after the 76 season. So this would have been like the third year of actual, like true free agency, but it was there. The rules were like a little different back then. Um, they, so they, they ended up, the two guys here are, <coughs> excuse me, two pitchers, um, Dave Goltz, um, who was on the twins and then a reliever, Dan, Don Stanhouse, who was on the Orioles, they both uh, signed big deals. So to give you a relative at the time, Dave Goltz signed a six-year contract for $3 million total. No, he didn't get the Kenta Maeda contract. It wasn't that bad. But like this was like a huge deal back then to give you an idea of where baseball is at financially. Um, Don Stanhouse got five years and $2.1 million total. Again, these were like huge sums at the time. They were like, oh my God. Like, I think Nolan Ryan in that same offseason, he signed, he got like a million dollars a year, which was, and he was the first guy to do that. So that's where baseball salaries were at at the time. And they were obviously about to like sort of explode. Um, but so here, from the Dodgers media guide, 1980, uh, and the blurb about Colt said he, quote, became the first player to be selected by the maximum 13 teams in the first round of the free agent draft in the history of the draft. Again, this is only the third year of free agency, but what the hell is a free agent draft? <laughs> like, so I think what it, it, essentially what I begin reading about it, what it boiled down to me at the time, there were 26 teams. So they capped it at like, uh, I, you, you basically like put in for guys you wanted. And then of that group team, people would bid on them so not it wasn't like an auction type thing but it was i don't know it was their way to like figure it out i don't know so um nobody at that point in the first years uh had all like the maximum 13 teams until dave goltz so uh just looking at his sort of numbers i don't know he was he was pretty good like uh he had he won 20 games in 1977 he, um, what he averaged, uh, over the previous five years, he averaged, um, 15 wins a year. He had a 343 ERA. It was 115 ERA plus, which nobody knew, knew about at the time, but like, he was actually a pretty good pitcher. Um, his, his, it was weird. His 1979 season was like worse than his previous seasons, but like still pretty good. Like he was like a workhorse guy and the Dodgers said, look, we're going to go in. 
we're going to get this guy, and then okay, then the you'll see a pattern here. <laughs> neither, neither guy particularly worked out too well. For, <laughs> for one thing, who who knows who Dave Goltz or Don Sandhaus was? So, but just going back, so on his 1982 Topps card, uh, this so this was after two years with the Dodgers. Um, the little blurb at the bottom said Dave's first two victories for the Dodgers were back-to-back shutouts against the Giants in April uh, 1980. So those were like his third and fourth starts with the club. He was actually pretty good. But then um, after that, in that season, he had a 476 ERA in 140 innings. That was really bad. Um, but to top what what sort of made Goltz like the, the um, some more hated, I guess, was that the Dodgers that year, they tie um, – they swept the Astros uh, in the last weekend of the regular season in Dodger Stadium uh, to force a one-game playoff, similar to what they had this last year. Um, and it was at Dodger Stadium, so it basically became a four-game series. The Dodgers, at this point, went with Dave Goltz to start 163. Mm-hmm. He was bad. He allowed four runs in three innings. The Astros were up 4 nothing. They won 7-1. to so all that like comeback over the weekend was completely erased by the by the Astros beating them uh, at home. But anyway, <coughs> excuse me. The way legend goes, and because Fernando Valenzuela was so good, like basically for the next seven years, um, was that oh the Dodgers screwed. This is this becomes like a after the fact game seven of the 2017 World Series thing, where. Uh, oh, the Dodgers clearly should have started Fernando, even though at that point he had never started a game, yeah, at least in the majors. He, he came up as a September call-up, and he was actually great out of the bullpen. He was probably like um, like um, a better Julio Urias, like um, like this last year. Uh, he he gave up two unearned runs in September, but otherwise he was no he was zero earned runs in seventeen and two thirds innings. So like mm-hmm. he was lights out from the start, but. Um, he was not really available to pitch 163, at least to start. This was so. This was like everyone who's saying, "Oh, start Kershaw, dummies!" Like you know, because <laughs> Kershaw ended up pitching four innings in relief. Although that was that in itself was like a an amazing accomplishment because he had just pitched three days prior. Oh, and also he pitched badly. Um, and then uh, <laughs> same thing about what about Alex Wood on three days rest? No, that's that's not going to happen. But. So, but so Kershaw, I mean, damn it, I did it again. Uh, so Valenzuela, um, uh, in that series when the Dodgers uh, swept the three-game series, he pitched two innings Friday. He pitched two innings Sunday. There was no way, like in in reality, he was going to pitch um, again or at least start again. He ended up pitching two scoreless innings of relief in that Monday game. But that's kind of what his role was. So. Anyone who says like, "Oh, they should, clearly should should have started Fernando," maybe that's true. Or, I mean, it wasn't true, but maybe at least they should have started somebody other than Golds. But who knows? Um, Stanhouse, on the other hand, was a reliever. Um, his sort of notable thing. This is mentioned like throughout his, either both his baseball cards and in the Dodger media guide that year, which I have. Um, but he said when he signed with the Dodgers, he said, "I wanted to wear Dodger blue for a long time, and now it's a dream come true." But his his time with the Dodgers was a nightmare. Um, <laughs> he he was very bad. Like um, he, I, I think part of it was like arm arm trouble too. Um, you know, he just like I don't know. He just he was not good. But just before we get into that, he um, uh, his his nickname, which was mentioned on his baseball card, 
It's withstand the man unusual <laughs> due to his unusual manner of getting in and out of jams. <laughs> so like that tells you right away that like that, that something's like, man, we got to watch this guy, you know, like that, that should be a red flag. But anyway, so um, again, five-year contract for Stanhouse. Um, he pitched 25 innings in 1985, 04 ERA, really bad. But the thing that stood out to me was um, 16 walks in those 25 innings, five strikeouts. Like, what the hell? Right? <laughs> how, does, how is that possible? But then if you look back, he actually, in his career, like he walked 455 batters and struck out 408. So, like, including like the previous two years before the Dodgers signed him, he walked more than he struck out. He only had five fewer walks and strikeouts in '77. He, so I don't know how this guy was able to like consider good. Like he, I, he, he did. He got in and out of jams and stuff. But man, so anyway, he, he he was hurt. He missed the whole '81 season. He was gone by the by then with the Dodgers. So five year contract, poof, done. Um, but the best part, so his nickname, it, it, when he was in Baltimore, it wasn't Sandman and Unusual, but um, Earl Weaver, uh, uh, he called him Full Pack because that was how many cigarettes he went through <laughs> when watching a pitch. Which, that's a way better nickname. <laughs> anyway, so um, but so the, so we, the, to tie this all together, uh, is, you know, Goltz and Sandhouse, this, again, early points of free agency, baseball was different back then. The Dodgers basically – like didn't sign a free agent until um, like Mike Davis in 1987. So they went like seven full off seasons after this. They're like, no, nah, we did Goldson Stanhouse. We're good. <laughs> like, and, and like you can go through there. There's a few like minor things, but like th- these were like not quite minor league free agents, but like not impact at all. Like, it, like they did not send a, a significant free agent. Uh, for literally for seven years because they were so scared away uh, by um, Stan Goltz as a lot, as people became uh, came to in, in sort of looking at this, I was finding I found an old LA Times article um, where like Rick Honeycutt struggled for a while after the Dodgers traded for him, but then he like sort of got into his groove a little bit and got better. And like Jim Murray wrote a column about him and said people were calling him Honey Goltz. <laughs> because they, they, they like that's how bad he was. So like the Gold Stanhouse like tandem signings uh, really like weighed on the Dodgers for like the better part of the eighties. But then also remember this was like uh, in like from like eighty uh, eighty six uh, to eighty eight or maybe it started a little before that. That's when uh, there were three different times when the uh, baseball owners were found to have colluded and they had to pay settlements later to players and players were granted free agency. That's how they just got Kurt Gibson uh, was because of collusion. Tim Raines is one of those guys. Um, he was a free agent 86. Um, nobody made offers to him, even though he was arguably like probably the best player in the national league at that point. So I'll give you this. There's a quote in December, 1986 from the Dodgers from Fred Claire, who wasn't GM yet, but he was executive vice president. And Fred Clare's quote was, we haven't stated a policy, uh, parentheses, on bidding for free agents, but we are just not planning in terms of getting into the free agent market. Like, that's, <laughs> like okay, like that's uh, <clears throat> that's just a weird policy to have. Uh, it seems weird in retrospect, but again, it was a little bit of a different time. Um, 
So that's very weird. Uh, but then to, to bring this sort of full circle, I mentioned like Kasten wasn't like the worst offender over the weekend. Um, Neil Huntington of the Pirates, who have been like a weird team the last few years. No um, and they, their payroll is like their payroll is so low this year. Um, he, they had like a, a team event over the weekend. He, uh, I think the, the owner uh, made like some weird like comments. I forget if it was um, Huntington or Bob Nutting, their owner. Someone, one of those two guys said, like, bragged about how the Pirates recently, because over like a six year span, they had like the ninth best record in the NL. And like, how do you say that with a straight <laughs> face and pretend that's like a positive? But anyway, that's not his thing. But his quote, I'll just read you this from um, from the uh, Pittsburgh um, Tribune. Um, yeah, said when you sign a free agent, you autom- you have automatically outbid everybody else to get him 99 percent of the time. You have theoretically overpaid to get that free agent. <laughs> so. Yeah. ownership's doing well right now like or just you know front offices like maybe just don't talk about this anymore like just <laughs> it, it looks really bad um so yeah so people stay away from free agency from the dodger standpoint you could you could <clears throat> excuse me sort of point it back to um don stanhouse don stanhouse and dave gold so that was sort of a two disastrous uh free agent signings uh, 39 years ago so yeah, the Dodgers. You know, how bad can the AJ Pollock signing be? Eh? Right. Eh? Imagine seven years from now. Uh, you know, it would be someone who's not Friedman or something. Of presumably, just go. You know what? We're not. We're not into free agency right now. We, be, we don't have a, a policy. But do during spring training, the worst free agent signings of all time for the Dodgers. Oh man, we'll have to yeah. compare them to Schmidt Jones, right? That's the sort of the next duo. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, though, obviously, yes, we, we should do that. I don't want to. I don't <laughs> want to spoil the end of this podcast for that. But yeah, it's it's very weird. But um, yeah, so that's that's sort of where we're at right now uh, with the off season. Who knows if there's going to be a significant move uh, in between now and when players, uh, pitchers, and catchers report? But right before we sign be, off, do you think knows? there will be? Do you think there will be? Uh, I think they're going to make at least one more like relatively significant move to the 40 man, whether it's adding or subtracting or just maneuvering. I think, I think they're going to, they're going to, they're going to do at least one more move. Okay. I think it's, and I think it'll be a trade. I think think it'll be a trade. Yeah. Well, you and I agree then. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. We're we're 100% on board. Congratulations. JT real mutual the Dodgers. So uh, yeah, uh, on that note, we will uh, talk to you next week. About Real Muto? Maybe.